All right, and uh, yeah, I just want to briefly mention to all of you fathers here in the room, happy Father's Day. We adore and we honor you as the fathers of our church. I just want to remind you, uh, particularly those of you who are new or young dads, God has given you a great responsibility. No one else can be your child's dad. That's your role, and you have this unique role of being able to bless your kids. You can bless your kids with your words. You can bless your kids with your affection. You can bless your kids with your time. You can bless your kids by loving your wife. And your kids will have an example of what Jesus is all about by the way that you love your family. Ephesians 6, 4 commands us fathers to bring up our children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And that is our God-given role. That's what you and I have been called to as fathers. So I want to call you to it. And I know personally many of the fathers here in this room and I know the lives that you lead and we respect you and we want to honor you uh, for serving uh, your family and one of the things that came to mind as I was just preparing uh, for this moment of dedication uh, is a a couple of scriptures from Joshua chapter 1 so what I want to do is just pray over the fathers in the room if you are a father um, this, is, this prayer is for you. And then I just encourage all the rest of you here in the room to just be praying over the dads. And this is what the scripture says. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all of the law that my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go, and keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, and then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and very courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And God, I just pray over the men and over the fathers in our church. And in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would make us shining examples of those who are courageous and those who are strong and those who keep the word of God on our lips and meditate on it day and night that we may be careful to obey everything commanded in it and actually lead our families into thriving and into flourishing. I bless the fathers in the room today, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, uh, I also just want to take a brief moment here and say that I know that for many of you, Father's Day is kind of a mixed bag. You either have a very complicated relationship with your father, you carry pain from your father, maybe you've lost your father recently, I know several people in my life have lost their dads, or maybe you long to be a father and that's just not your stage of life and you're grieving the stage of life that you're in, uh, I also just want to pray blessing over you because the scripture tells us that we actually do have a heavenly father in God and he is a good father. And uh, the scripture uh, that came to my mind for those of you who might be experiencing that is 2 Corinthians um, and verse 16. 2 Corinthians and verse 16. And it says this, it says, we are temples of the living God, and as God has said, I will live with them, and I will walk among them. I will be their God, 
and they will be my people. Verse 18 says, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And so I just want to pray that over you guys as well. So Father, thank you for my friends, my sisters, and my brothers in this room. And we thank you that although our relationship with dad, our, our, our earthly father, may be complicated, may carry a lot of pain, we trust in you, God, that you are our true father. And I just pray that you would be with us. You will go with us. You will be close to us wherever we go. And we pray that you would be a father to us, particularly the fatherless. And we just pray that the word of God would go out in power today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Okay, with that, um, would you please stand to your feet one more time uh, for the reading of Scripture. Uh, We're uh, getting back to our series in Genesis. We're calling this Origins. And um, I've been really excited to teach this one. So here we go. Uh, Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless, and then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer shall you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful I will, make your na- I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and to your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. And this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant that you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you are to undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Have a seat. Okay, so I bet on your drive into church this morning, you were not expecting the circumcision talk, (laughs) right? Some of you like brought friends today and you like vouched for this church and we're having the circumcision talk today. Don't worry, um, I'm not going to make this uncomfortable. That's not my job. Um, We're here for Jesus' glory and there's plenty of that here in this text. So where we left off in the story of Genesis uh, is this, because of human rebellion and sin, God initiates his plan to redeem the world. And the plan begins with a promise to bless the family of Abraham. And we've talked about this at length. And his plan has essentially stayed the same ever since he made that promise back in Genesis 12. He's blessing the family of God. He's blessing the church. That's you and me through Jesus so that we would spread the blessing 
to all of the families on the earth. That's his mission. As we've learned, we are his covenant partners. Now, back in Genesis 12, we saw the origin story of that redemption plan coming to fruition in Abram's line. So Abram's 75 years old, and God promises that he's going to inherit the land of Canaan and that he's going to finally have a son in his old age. And then Abram obeys God. He obeys God by leaving uh, the, the, the only home he's ever known, his hometown of Ur. So he, leaves, he obeys God, but he does not see instant results. They actually spend years in obscurity, wandering around in the wilderness. And oh, a couple of weeks ago, we discovered that this is not a fluke, and this is not God being cruel. Obscurity is God's way of forming Abram's heart in preparation for blessing. Obscurity is God's way of forming Abram's heart in preparation for blessing. Now, we live in this super impatient culture that just cannot be bothered with the time and process that's required for the formation of our character. Like, who would have thought that the society that brought you the microwave, like, wouldn't have patience for and might, like, try and shortcut the cultivation of integrity from the heart? Right? That's the world that we're living in. It doesn't work. So instead, what we do is we've sort of become masters of curating highlights, so that people perceive us as virtuous instead of being transformed from the inside out. But according to the biblical paradigm, that's not the goal. The goal is the actual transformation or the formation, reformation of our hearts. Like a tree planted by streams of water, like Psalm 1 says, that yields fruit in its season. And this is the journey that Abraham is on. He's becoming a man who God can bless with great spiritual authority. And that's where Genesis 17 picks up. Uh, picks up the story 25, af- 25 years after that initial promise. And Abram and Sarah have been, though for those 25 years, being formed in the wilderness to be the kind of person that God can bless with real spiritual authority. They endured the wilderness by being faithful to God. They grew strong in their faith. That's what Romans 4 tells us, that they did not shrink back, but they actually grew strong in faith. And now, according to uh, Genesis here, Um, they are ready to step into the destiny that God had revealed to them more than a quarter of a century ago. So the promise of God, here's the principle. The the principle is this. The promise of God does not unfold on our timetable. The promise of God does not unfold on our timetable. But if you wait patiently for the Lord, then the blessing and the reward that we receive is well worth the wait. See, by God's grace, Hopefully what's happening here as we orient our lives after the way of Jesus is we're becoming the kinds of people that God can wholly bless. Remember the scripture says that the eyes of the Lord are are searching to and fro across the earth so that he may strongly support those whose hearts are fully his. And that was Abram's testing ground was these 25 years. Not wasted time. It's his testing ground. It's the ground. It's the journey of formation. So... Here's how the story goes. We just read it, but here's how the story goes really quickly. Number one, Abram has a personal encounter. He has a personal encounter with God. Now, notice this. This is the third time in the biblical story that Abram receives the promise from God. But I want you to notice the progression of intimacy over time. Notice the progression of intimacy over time. Genesis 12.1 says that the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. So at first, Abram hears God's voice. That's great. It's amazing, hearing the voice of God. A couple of years later, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. So at the second 
telling of the promise. Abraham hears God's voice and he also sees God in a vision. Even better, right? But now check out Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between you and me and will greatly increase your numbers. So this time what's different? This time God shows up. He appears to Abram. So how are we supposed to understand this or see this? Well, um, well, here's how we see this. That God is actually building relationship with Abram. That's what the whole sort of goal of the covenant promise is all about. He's saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's relational language. And as their relationship grows, God is coming closer and closer and closer uh, to Abram as the relationship goes, just like any relationship in your life will go. That's how it goes with God as well. Another way of looking at the exact same thing is this, that in the wilderness, Abram, uh, he was growing in faith. And in the wilderness, he was, for, he was being formed into a man of integrity. And now, 25 years later, he's being rewarded for that integrity. He's being rewarded for, that, for the formation of his character by even greater intimacy with God. Remember, God said, I am your great reward. This week in my study, I came across, uh, I think, a, an amazing quote from Henry Nouwen, who, if you haven't read him, he's a contemplative Catholic mystic, incredible author of the late 20th century. And he says this, a waiting person is a patient person. And the word patient the word patience means the willingness to stay where we are and live the situation out to the full in the belief that something hidden there will manifest itself to us. Love that. And if you've been around Riverbend any length of time, you know that we believe that the future of the church hangs in the balance, is directly connected to our resolve to seek God as a matter of first importance in our lives. He is the one who has our utter and complete devotion. And, because, uh, and then because of that, we believe that the hidden treasure of intimacy with God is found when we seek God with all of our hearts and our, and our devotion to seek after him. And this is what we've been carefully building, uh, building blocks in, in the life of our church, in the organization of our church to create more room for you and I to seek God as a matter of first importance because there is real treasure, there is real wisdom, and there is real life that's found by devoting ourselves to intimacy with God. And I've been walking with Jesus close to 20 years now. I'm fortunate enough to know many people who've walked with Jesus much, much longer than that. And the consistent experience that I hear from those of you who've been walking with Jesus longer than me, it delights me to no end, and I relish sharing it with you now, is that there is always more of God for us to discover. Not a single one of us has exhausted him, his beauty, his character, his love. None of us have come close. In fact, the scripture says that in the ages to come, he is going to be unfolding the, the, the glorious riches of our inheritance to him in Christ Jesus. Meaning that even in eternity, it won't be all like that. We'll still be discovering and turning over and realizing the beauty and the grandeur and the awesomeness of God. And so welcome to the rest of your life. You get to seek God and experience him. And there's always more of him to discover. Psalm 105, verse 3. Uh, one of my favorites right now says this. Glory in his holy name. 
Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. I suppose it's possible you're here and you're like, man, when is this guy going to get off of seeking God's face? Um, we're not anywhere close to that. <laughs> you know, just like get ready. We're just doing it more. Prayer rooms open, more prayer gatherings, more prayer series, more prayer trainings, more all of it. Because we are a church who's going to seek God's face. And I haven't exhausted him. I haven't even come close. And you haven't either. So let's go, right? Let's go. Let's seek God as a matter of first importance in life. Um, and if we are patient, this is the message of Genesis, is like if we are patient and if we are willing to stay, live the situation out to the full, then he actually shows up and we're rewarded. So Colossians 2, uh, another one of my favorites right now. It's talk, uh, Paul is talking to a group of people, most of whom he hasn't ever met himself, and he's sort of pontificating uh, to the church at Colossae about that. And he's thinking to himself, man, I sure wish... I could be there with you all, but then he has a gut check, and he says, you know what? Actually, I'm going to pray for you, and here's what I'm going to pray for you. He says, he prays that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, that they would attain to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. Check this. That is Christ himself. True knowledge of God's mystery. That is Christ himself. And then verse 3 says, in whom are hidden... All of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Therefore, this is your key. This is your answer for the questions that you have in your life, for the deep angst that you may feel about your place in the world, your identity, who you are. Like The, the, the solution is a one-size-fits-all. It's seeking after Jesus. And as we seek him, we find him when we seek him with all of our heart. Jeremiah chapter 29. So waiting on the Lord is rewarded with the depths of God's heart. And this is my hope for you. is that you would be a person who just treasures the wisdom and the knowledge of God. I just pray that you treasure him like that. So what happens next in the story? Well, here's what happens. God gives Abram a new name, and a new identity. He's rewarded, and he's given a new name and a new identity. In the ancient world, the meaning of your name was super significant. It is today, too. I remember um, years ago when we named our firstborn daughter. We named her Isabel, and we thought about it for months while Grace was pregnant, and we had like a few finalists. And then as soon as Isabel was born, we looked into her eyes, and we held her for the first time, and we knew right away, like, she's Isabel. And Isabel, by the way, means consecrated to God, which we love that. So we love the meaning, but we also love the fact that, you know, 2012, not many people are named Isabel anymore that we knew of, and so we were stoked about that. And then a couple of years later, I remember seeing a list of the most popular names for girls in 2012. And the year she was born, 2012, out of, out of like, like 40, out of, uh, 40 out of 50 states, Isabel was the number one most popular girl name of 2012, which I couldn't believe. I was shocked. And then somebody told me, oh, yeah, that was the year that the first Twilight movie came out. <laughs> Apparently, the main character's name's Isabel. Serves me right, I guess, for not like following pop culture, just being totally oblivious. But anyways, Grace, you're supposed to cover me on stuff like that. You know? <laughs> I don't follow pop culture. You're supposed to. Um, anyways, uh, so na like your name, particularly in the ancient world, it has a lot of significance. It has a lot of meaning. So Abram, 
uh, means in Hebrew, it means exalted father. Think about that. 99 years old, you're named exalted father. And if you're an old man with no kids, that's, that's, that's terrible irony, right? It's tragic irony. So what does God do? Well, God renames him at 99 years old, Abraham, which means the father of a multitude. Still no kids. So this goes from like his name, Abram's name, it goes from irony to if God does not show up with a miracle, then this whole guy's life is like an oxymoron. And that's exactly the point that God is, is getting after here. He's, by, by giving a, Abram a new name, Abraham, he's double, God is doubling down on the promise that he gave him. And he's also doing this. He's increasing the improbability of the miracle. He's increasing the improbability of the miracle for it taking as long as it did. So when Abram and Sarah finally have a son, everyone will know that God Almighty is the one who's showing up and blessing them. He's saying, my plan to redeem will not be explained away through Abram's business savvy or his vision to build a name for himself. His name will be great. His wife will give birth to kings, but the mark on their life will not be one of self-sufficiency. It will be of one of utter dependence on me. God alone performs miracles. God alone is mighty to save. So just in case anyone's tempted to give Abram props for being self-sufficient and rising to prominence through sweat and effort, let me just increase the improbability of the miracle for a moment, for a couple of decades, so that it is abundantly clear that it's my power that is bringing about Abraham's blessing. Recently, uh, I was meeting with a guy in our church who's been married for several decades, and there's been a couple of things that have happened in his life lately, and now all of a sudden, his marriage is on the brink of divorce, and it's a tragic, tragic story of like mental illness and, and many other things, and um, he's been counseled by several people in his life, you know, it sounds like your wife is just moving on, and it's probably time for you to do that too. And the more that I have sat with him and prayed with him, I'm just so grateful and proud of his response to that, which is the temptation is that might be the easy way out. But the last conversation I had with him, he essentially said, who am I to kill a marriage that God may want to redeem? It looks like it's on the brink of divorce. It looks like it's on the brink of disaster. However, God said he wanted me to remain faithful to my covenant promise, the vow that I made decades ago. And so I plan on doing that in case God wants to redeem this marriage. And I think it's such a beautiful testimony of exactly what is at the center of God's heart. So when you think about your life, you might find yourself in an impossible situation. My my mentor, Phil, likes to talk about impossible prayers and praying those impossible prayers. And that might be you. You might feel like there's a part of your life that feels beyond saving. And if that's where you are today, I just want to encourage you that really what the way that I see that, I think the way to see this from the scripture, is that the parts of our lives that feel beyond saving are actually opportunities for God to display his unmatched power his unmatched miraculous power. Like Abraham and Sarah, you may be experiencing years of unmet expectations in what feels like a spiritual wasteland. But do not lose hope because, uh, first of all, we want to allow God to deeply form us from the heart. That's what the wilderness seasons are for. 
So it's instead of pushing away from and pushing against the wilderness season that you're in, instead ask God, what area of my discipleship to you, what gap in my character do you want to address first in my life? That's the question in wilderness seasons, along with deepening your faith and your trust in him. But then also, like Abraham, he, remember, Abraham, he, the scripture tells us that he was growing strong in faith during his wilderness season, fully believing that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. So he was increasing his faith, and at the same time, God's increasing the improbability of the miracle, so that when God does move in power, he gets greater glory from your life. And I think that's exactly what God intends to do in your life, particularly in those things that seem beyond redemption. Nothing's beyond redemption when it comes to God. Nothing's truly impossible when it comes to God. Now, that statement can be fully taken out of context. What I'm talking about is the promise of God on your life. He is with you wherever you go. So to receive the promise, Abram had to not be passive in his trust in God. He had to be active. He had to, have, uh, he had to actively trust in God's word. Here's what I mean by that. Imagine you're Abraham for a moment. And imagine the strength of soul that's required at 99 years old to show up to a dinner with friends and formally reintroduce yourself. Hey, I'm the father of many nations. Hey, how's it going? I'm the father of many nations. No, 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 that that was before. God actually met me. He appeared to me. He gave me a new name. I'm father of many nations. At 99 years old with no kids, he would have looked delusional to the outside world, but he was greatly rewarded for believing in God when it did not make sense. This is a highlight, a key feature of Abrahamic faith. So here's what the new name represents. The new name represents several things. Number one, the new name represents that the shame of Abraham's past is being replaced with the honor of being God's chosen family. Being childless in the ancient world was considered a punishment from the gods. It was shameful. You must have done something horrible in order to not have any kids. Your line is going to die with you. But God is reassuring Abraham, actually, no, that's not it at all. It's just so I'm going to get my glory. You're not going to go down like that. In fact, kings are going to come from your line, and it's all going to be uh, to, to the praise and the glory of my name, which is so beautiful. The second thing that the new name does is it represents a top-down transformation of his identity. Listen, Abraham, I'm blessing your life. When people see you and when people see what I have done for you, they're going to turn to me. They're going to be uh, provoked and moved to faith in me because of what I've done in your life. It's a top-down reorganization, transformation of Abraham's entire identity. identity. And the third thing that, that it does is it represents that Abraham's life is now defined by God's word that is spoken over him. His life is now defined by God's word that's spoken over him. And I, I believe that um, maybe this is one of the reasons why we're having an identity crisis in our culture, in our time, is that we're very, very busy and we're, very, we're, we're listening uh, to a lot of uh, noise. And we're not instead like hearing the word of God spoken over us, And the scripture tells us to let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. And I just want to remind you something that hopefully you already know, but if you don't, this is, um, this is important for you and your identity. What God has done for us in Christ is he's given us a new identity. The scripture says that our shame has been removed and now we have the right to be called children of God. 
We have the right to be called children of God, and this is who we are, 1 John 3 says. We are also being transformed by Christ. We are being formed and transformed by Christ. And we are called, we are commanded even to live in light of this promise. So the antidote uh, to a fragile Christianity is to anchor ourselves in the truth of who we are now in light of God's promise. This is what we, we, we believe the Lord is calling us at Riverbend to raise passionate but also resilient disciples of Christ in a secular age. We're living in this time um, that is defined by all kinds of lies from our culture, lies from the enemy. But when we uh, live in the hope of our new identity, that we actually are daughters and sons of the Most High God, we are then able to differentiate ourselves from the lies of the enemy. And we're able to differentiate ourselves from the corrupt stories of our culture that want to tell you something different about who you actually are. But instead, we live with this holy confidence. We live with this holy ambition that we belong to God. This is, this is who you are now. You belong to him. And so we have resilience, or we can have resilience in a secular age because we have a confident expectation about whose we are. If God says you're his son, then you're his son. And that's what's most true about you, and that's what's most important about you. And if you are finding yourself in a fragile moment where your faith is weak, listen, we've all been there before, and zero judgment on my part. But the, what, what you need, what you most desperately need, is the word of God spoken over you about who you actually are. And keep going. I haven't grad, I'm almost 20 years in, haven't graduated from that. I still need to be reminded by God that I'm loved, that I'm the beloved, that I'm a son. And I believe that you need that assurance as well. And by the way, for all of my teaching of the scripture and all of our talk of identity, I haven't even come close to exhausting all of the wonderful things that God has said about you in the scripture. In fact, Psalm 139 says, how precious are God's thoughts towards me, how vast are the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the sand. This is how God sees you. And this is what Abraham firmly believes to the point where he's going, no, 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 not Abram, Abraham, please, father of a multitude, father of nations. He's believing God, he's trusting God, he's willing to act on that trust and that faith before he realizes the promise. And that is the key, is they trust in God when it doesn't make sense. This is who God, despite what our culture might say, despite the lies of the enemy, this is who God says that you are. It's the antidote to fragile Christianity. You guys with me on that? Come on. Dads, speak that stuff over your kids. What's that thing you say, Phil? Like your kids will become who you say they're becoming? Yeah, from, oh, yeah, from what is it again? Your children will become who you tell them you see them becoming. Your children will become who you tell them you see them becoming. Such a good, good word. Affirm your children. Bless your children. Fathers, come on. Tell them who they actually are so that they believe it. All right. So um, here's, here's, here's where that leads us. This is uh, essentially what we're saying. Is we're saying uh, this, this uh, calling to a new name, this calling to a new identity, the word of God spoken, being spoken over us is a challenge to become who we already are. A challenge to become who we already are. Um, in that, listen, this is, God has said you're a daughter of his. God has said you're a son of his. And so I want you, we are charging you, we are calling you to live as though that is true. You are a daughter of the Most High God. You are beloved. So replace whatever images or things you have in your mind about yourself that do not align with that truth that God has spoken over you. 
Much more I could say on that. But there's more to the promise than just the new identity. Keep reading. Look what it says in Genesis 7, uh, 17, 7. It says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Okay, God is repeating himself again and again here because he wants Abraham to be assured. In other words, what he's saying is the covenant that I'm making with you is everlasting. It's never ending. The word everlasting in the Hebrew, it means that it's a promise that's going to transcend time and generations. Again, compare that to um, the certainty that we have in our culture about our culture's truth claims. We're living in this intense world of uncertainty of rapid societal change. And what that does is it produces in our psyche, our spirit, a sense of disillusionment, a sense of angst, a sense of deep questioning. Who or what can I count on as really true? Who or what can I count on as really true? And into that complex world of rapid societal change, God's promise is unwavering. As I talk to young people today in the, like, the late Gen Z and early millennials, they're saying that this is actually something that just brings a lot of peace to their soul, is knowing that for everything that's rapidly changing around us, we have something that we can hold on to that is constant, and that is that God's promise is, un, is unwavering. Um, 2 Timothy says that if we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. I love the phraseology of that, of that sentence. That I know of, this is the only time in Scripture that it says that God cannot do something. This is the only time in Scripture that says that God cannot do something. Which, by the way, reminds me of something else that Isabel said years ago. Um, when I was driving her to school, she was like very contemplative, looking out the window on the way to school. And she said to me, Dad, uh, can God make a swimming pool so big that even he can't swim in it? And I was like, you guys have no idea. For somebody like me, that is like the exact, perfect, most amazing question. I felt so loved and seen by my daughter in that moment when she said, she said that. She gave me like an inch and I like took a mile. I was like, I'm going to teach you a class on the omnipotence of God and all of that. Um, no, I just gave her the two-sentence answer, which is what she wanted. But um, what, she's going after this. She's like trying to wrap her head around God. And so what is the thing that God can't do? Is there anything that God cannot do? Well, uh, what we know from this verse is that God can't go against who he is. He can't go against who he is. He's faithful, so therefore he can't be unfaithful. And this hopefully gives you a tremendous sense of hope in a world that's filled with ambiguity and unpredictable devotion, vacillating love, that God is an unchanging heavenly father who deeply desires to bless, redeem, and guide us into flourishing. And our job is to simply trust him and to embrace what he has said is actually true about us. So the promise also comes with an inheritance. So the promise of God is meant to give us a new identity. It's also uh, meant to be everlasting. And it's also meant to include an inheritance. Now the inheritance in uh, Abraham's case is the geography. It's the land. It's the place, which to you might seem a little bit um, strange or it might not connect with your experience. But hang with me. Like, the promise includes a place of provision, of protection, of home. This is meant to be like God promising we're getting back to Eden, at least in some part where there's going to be a temple where you're going to meet with me. 
where you're going to worship me, where you're going to follow my lead into flourishing. And throughout the entire storyline of the Bible, we see this time and again. The people of God are either like wandering or wandering back or wandering towards um, their destination, which is this land of Canaan, this promised land. And then we also uh, have different periods of history where they have arrived and they are occupying um, the land that God had promised them, and they're at their, de- at their destination. So arriving in the promised land represents God's blessing. Now, just like the new identity stuff we talked about a moment ago, the land is simply foreshadowing the ultimate blessing that's fulfilled in Christ. In other words, he is our destination. We're not going after a temple in some city across the world. John 4 says the time is coming and now is when you will not worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem at the temple, but you will worship me or the Father in spirit and in truth. In other words, he's saying my presence is coming upon you and you don't have to be in a particular place anymore. You're the place. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, is that we, in fact, are the temples of the Holy Spirit where God has chosen to dwell. So the promise gets better as it's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. This is what, not I'm saying, this is what the scripture is saying. Now, to end, here's, I just have a final thought, which is this, um, that we have been given, according to Ephesians 1, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So when we talk about becoming who you actually are, becoming who you already are, living in the hope of the promise that God has given you, he has told us that he has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. What we may need, I call this the kaleidoscope effect. What we may need is a little bit of a shift in our perspective to actually see that all of that is true. Because the way that our perspective sometimes is, is we see all the things that don't seem, they seem out of alignment, they don't seem right. But remember, this is being written while Paul himself is in prison. He's actually on death row. He doesn't think he's going to live much longer. And he's saying, hey, take joy, have joy, because you have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's a kaleidoscope effect. Change the perspective, and a whole new world opens up right there for you. So here are the, the spiritual blessings that are listed in Ephesians 1. I suspect that there are more, but here are all of the spiritual blessings that are listed in Ephesians chapter 1. Number 1, in Ephesians 1, 5, we are adopted as sons and daughters. So believers are chosen by God, welcomed into his family, receiving the full rights and privileges as his children. We also receive redemption through Jesus' blood. That's chapter 1, verse 7. Through Jesus' sacrifice, believers are set free from the power, the penalty of sin, and instead we experience forgiveness and restoration into right relationship with God. We also receive in chapter 1, verse 7, the forgiveness of sins. In Christ, believers receive complete forgiveness of their sins, past, present, future. The penalty of sin, which is death, we experience instead uh, freedom from guilt and condemnation. We experience joy and eternal life. Another spiritual blessing, we have been lavished with God's grace. That's the exact language, as best as we can translate it from the Greek. God pours out his grace abundantly upon believers, providing us with unmerited favor, empowering us for righteous living and all of the good stuff. We also receive knowledge of God's will, chapter 1, verse 9. So this is by far the, one of the largest questions that I get as a pastor is people wanting to know God's will for their life in this or that situation. And I 
rather cheekily often just say, let's talk to him about it. Let's go to him. He's the great reward. Like we're going to find our answers. Every answer we need, we're going to find when we seek him. But we seek him. That's the main thing. So believers are granted insight and understanding into God's divine plan and purposes, enabling us to align ourselves with his will. We also learn that we have our inheritance in Christ. Through faith in Jesus, believers receive an eternal inheritance. We become heirs. We're called heirs. And, and, and we receive all the blessings and the promises that God made to Abraham. They also apply to us. In verse 13, it says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. In other words, believers have uh, been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Some have said it's like a deposit of our future inheritance, providing guidance, comfort, assurance, power by the Holy Spirit. This is your spiritual blessing in Christ. Spiritual wisdom and revelation, chapter 1, verse 17. The Holy Spirit grants believers a deep understanding of God's truth, where we are enlightened in our minds and in our hearts, illuminating the knowledge of God. Verse 21, or 19 and 20, we receive resurrection power. This is one of the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. We get access to the same power that would raise Jesus from the dead, empowering us to live victorious lives, victorious over the kingdom of darkness, victorious over sin. We get to be transformed. We get to be formed into his image. And finally, this is not, I don't think, an exhaustive list, but this is the list for Ephesians 1. We, are, we receive an exalted position in Christ, verse 20 through 23. So in all the authority that Jesus gets, he's all, he has all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and Jesus exalts us. Those who humble ourselves, we will be in due time exalted to be alongside of him as true heirs in the kingdom of God. So through Jesus' resurrection, through his ascension, believers are raised with him. We are raised with him and we're seated with him in the heavenly places. That's what the scriptures tell us. We share in his authority and we share in his reign. Amen. Amen. Yes, we can get excited about that. These are are what God has said are yours in Christ. And one of the greatest tragedies of my pastoral life is working with people and walking with people who have really low expectations for the power of God in their midst, have really low expectations, a real low view of themselves. It's almost as though we've internalized the exact wrong thing. But the invitation of Abraham's life and story is to start going by your new name and to start saying, you know what? I can't quite see it, although God is telling me it's coming soon. I'm going to believe and I'm going to trust in the Lord. This is not passive acceptance. This is active trust and devotion. Go start going by your new name. This is who you are now. You can call yourself a child of God. That's actually who you are. See, um, this was the whole point of, I mentioned, jokingly mentioned circumcision at the beginning. This was the whole point of circumcision. It's Abraham's way of saying that this is not a passive thing, but this is my active, like this is an active thing. I, I, I have um, an, uh, like a mark of consecration to God that the promise is real. I'm willing to take a mark of consecration. This is an outward sign of an inward reality. And God is, of course, looking at, at Abraham's heart, but Abraham's heart is demonstrated as he obeys God in the covenant. Deuteronomy 6 again, the great Shema, love the Lord with all of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, Proverbs 3. When you seek me, you will find me. When you seek me with all of your heart. See, Abraham knows what we ought to know, which is this is an active call 
This is an active call to believe in God, sometimes when it doesn't even make sense. So, so what I think God wants to do is break you, break me of the low expectations of God moving in our midst. And he's going to do that by building trust, building your faith in him. So if you're in that wilderness season like Abraham was for 25 years, let God do the deep work of forming your heart and trust in him. The signs of the new covenant are twofold. There's baptism and there's the Lord's table. These are like replace circumcision as the sign of the covenant. And these are ways that we celebrate and commemorate and actively trust. We declare and we, de- we say we are God's people. We identify ourselves with Jesus by taking the Lord's table. It's a celebration of what he's done. And baptism re- represents our cleansing. It rep- represents us dying with Christ and raising to life again. That's why we do it. It's because we're saying, yeah, I will obey the terms of the covenant. I will say yes to what you've called me to say yes to. So I just want to pray as we close. Um, I want to do something that may feel a little bit uh, risky for some of you, may feel a little bit uncomfortable for others. Please hear me when I say I'm not going after that. I'm not trying to make anyone uncomfortable. But I do just want to replace some of the toxic images in our minds about what, the, what our culture has said we are and instead let the truth of Christ reign in your heart. Okay? That's what we're going after. So would you please stand with me? And we're going to pray that in. So let's just begin by closing our eyes and, and opening our hands. For those of you who are comfortable opening your hands, this is just a posture of receiving, saying, yes, we want the Lord here with us. And I just want you to, uh, just for the briefest of moments, to think about some of the lies that you're tempted to believe about yourself. I've been pastoring this community for a while now. I tend to have a pretty good idea of what some of the primary lies are. One of the first ones is that you're not actually worthy of love. You can believe in God's love for somebody else, but when you think about yourself, you can't actually you can't actually imagine God will love you in that way. Another lie we're tempted to believe is that we're just like too much of a failure. Like we've just, we've just messed up, we've got it horribly wrong too many times and there's just no possible way that we could be truly forgiven. Another lie is that yeah, sure, the power of God and the presence of God might be for some people, but, you know, I've tried that a handful of times, or I've tried that for what feels like an expended period, and I just do not experience intimacy with Him. So I'm not denying the truth, but I just don't really believe it's for me, or I haven't figured it out, or maybe God is not here for me in that way like He is for others. And fill in the blank. There could be many other things that you have internalized that is simply just the way of the world. It's just a lie from the enemy. It's just a part of our toxic culture. I feel like for someone here, there's like this sense that I'm never going to be free of my pain and my anxiety. 
just have experienced so much emotional hurt in your life that it's like, I just don't see any way that I can ever be truly filled with joy and hope again. They said, I, I, I don't know your full story, but I do believe that Abraham and Sarah could really relate to some of what you're feeling. And even our Savior Jesus, he can empathize with our suffering because he went through it himself. And what I want to encourage you to do right now in the name of Jesus is to just let go of those lies. Sometimes it's helpful to think of those lies or those like toxic beliefs that you've held on to as like weights, heavy weights that you're carrying, like a rock or something like that. And you just need to release it and let it go. But for others of you, it might just feel hard to even do that. You've been holding it so long, you don't even know what I'm talking about. And that's all fair too. So I just want to, just for the briefest of moments, just let, let go of those things and disagree with them. And th this is important. This is your response to the lies and the toxic things that you've held on to is to disagree. To say, that's not true. I don't believe that. That's not what God has said. I encourage you to do that now. I just want to remind you what God has said about you. And I know that you're hearing my voice right now because I'm the one with the microphone. But remember, all I'm doing is I'm telling you what God has said about you. He has said, God has said that you are adopted as a daughter as a son of God. This is what God has said about you. God has said that you are redeemed. Like God has made things right with you. You can have relationship with him all over again. And that was accomplished through Jesus' blood. It wasn't your doing, it was his miracle is extremely improbable but Jesus accomplished it through the cross God has said that you are forgiven of your sin I encourage you now that if there's been any sin in your life this week that you haven't yet confessed just between you and him just let it go repent, turn back to him. God has said that he is lavishing you with his grace. He's pouring it out in abundance over you. It will never run out. He's not sparing with it. He's lavishing you with his grace.
God has said that he wants to share with you his will, his plan, his purpose. God has said you are receiving an inheritance from me as your reward, eternal life and reward in the age to come. God has said that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. This is what is true. I just want, to, want you to pay attention to what God's doing in your heart right now. I think God wants to do is push out all of the toxic thoughts and beliefs, all the lies, and wash it clean and then replace it with the truth. So I want you to begin to agree with what God has said over you. Agree. Disagree with that other stuff, but agree with this. Because it's what God said. He said he's giving you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He said he's giving you resurrection power. He said he's exalting you to share in his reign share even in his glory, to share in his authority, this is who you are because of what God has said about you. So I just want to pray now over you, just finally, as we, before we sing, we're going to spawn in worship, the team's going to lead us, but I just want to end with this, with this, and, 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 and uh, yeah, it's sometimes hard to do this in a gathering of this size, I'd rather we could do this one-on-one, -on -one, just face-to-face. You and me. But I am going to just pray blessing over you. God, I pray over my, my, my brothers and my sisters in, in the name of Jesus. And I pray that all of the things that you have said about them, they would actually believe as true for them. That they would internalize those. That if they trust like Abraham and that if they believe and if they say yes to you, that all of these things are true of them. I pray that it would be more than uh, just uh, a few thoughts or, or impressions uh, that they get from a message, but it would actually become like the defining, like the defining part of their lives. Like, oh no, 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 this is my whole perspective has changed. The kaleidoscope has just shifted just a little bit. I've seen the world in a completely different way. And it's all based on what God has said about me. And I pray that this would be internalized deeply from the heart for everyone here who trusts and believes in you. Come Holy Spirit and do it. We pray all of these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. So with that, you guys, we're going to sing. We're going to praise the Lord Jesus together. Um, and I just encourage you to respond. This, is our, this was our response. We planned this moment for you to give your heart in adoration and praise to the Lord. We're also coming forward uh, to grab the bread and cup during this song as well because we're going to like take the sign of the covenant that God has made through us to, with, with us through Jesus. Um, so uh, team, take it away, and the tables are open. <laughs>